just love working for Jesus? Yeah. And don't you love being on the winning side? Yeah. Praise Jesus. Well, my story um, for today starts a number of years ago, and it was, it was in London. You've probably recognized I've got a southern accent, uh, southern, southern England. And uh, I, the Lord said he would give me a music store. And I bought a three-story building with no money when I was about 25. And uh, I set up a prayer meeting every morning, one hour in tongues, for all the people coming in. So we were, we were getting a lot of people saved. They were coming into the store getting saved. In fact, um, George Michael's backing singer came in one day, June Ham, And she came in, she said, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm coming to buy a Korg keyboard. And I said, no, you're not. You've come in to give your life to Jesus. And she burst into tears. And my wife brought us to the Lord upstairs. And so we were working for the kingdom. So one day, this Satanist comes in. And he came in and he said, could he have a word of me? So he came into my office. And he said, um, Martin... Uh, Satan has asked me to come and talk to you. So I said, okay. And he said, first of all, he wants you to know that there are three covens on the local, in the local area all praying against you. And the second thing he wants you to know is that he is going to completely destroy you. And that he's decided that he's going to personally do it. So I said, okay, um, could you pass a message back to Satan for me? And he looks me in the eye and he says, yes, I will, I, I will do that. And I said, can you tell him to, to talk to Jesus about it? You see, you, I belong to someone. Yeah. And you can't touch me without going through him. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. So over the years, I was thinking to myself, and thinking even recently, well, he, he, he hasn't had, done a good job on it. He hasn't had a good job in trying to kill me. And uh, I was pondering it, why he had not made a little bit more effort, you know. And uh, one day Janet says to me that she thought I was, that we were to, to um, go into a new phase of ministry. Janet's my wife. Um, she's the beautiful lady over there. And I said, she said, I think we need to be fasting. So I said, okay. And I asked the Lord what he wanted me to do. And he said to fast for seven days. So I fasted for seven days on, on water. And, and when I finished, and I was writing some songs, and uh, I said, I finished the seven days, I thought, I know, I'll have some fish and chips, as one would, of 
course. And so I had some fish and chips, and uh, afterwards my stomach felt a little bit strange. It was a rather bad. Oh, okay. Well, the next day it wasn't getting any better. So I thought, well, I must have a uh, food poisoning or something. And so I thought, right, okay, let's just wait for it to get better and just carried on praying. But it wasn't getting any better. And I was going day after day, not eating, feeling pretty bad. And then um, somebody in morning staff, he was either Rick or somebody else, um, inquired whether I was going to a meeting. And I said uh, that I wasn't because I was feeling very, very tired. Now, in England, we, we have this tendency to understate things. And I think Rick realized that I must be in a bad way. And uh, I think somebody contacted Bart, Bart Peter, to come and uh, see how I was. And uh, I hadn't eaten for a long while, and I was pretty weak. And I could hardly walk around the bed. And I think, I think he, they, they thought I was going to die. And uh, also, um, Ruben Gaza was coming, and so they were, they were trying to look after me, and they were really kind, and they stayed all night, because they thought it was that close. And uh, they ended up, my, my wife suggested they took me to Pineville Hospital. And by the way, I might get some of these details a little bit muddled up, because my mind is not very clear what happened to me. And when they got me to the hospital, um, the surgeons thought I was about to die as well. And so they looked at what was wrong, and in all this time, I didn't believe I was going to die. And the reason was, because I'd have quite liked to. <laughs> I'd have loved to go to heaven. I remember saying to Rick once, COVID, what's the problem with that? What's the worst that can happen? We can go to heaven. <laughs> You know, so I was quite happy to go to heaven. But you know, wives are sometimes right about going to hospital. I, I wouldn't have gone, but she felt I should. And uh, so they did the diagnosis, and they came up with this that I'd, I'd had diabetes. Okay, I had a bleed in my brain. Okay, I had a heart attack. And I had a perforated appendix. So I had these all in one go. And I had no strength. Zero strength. I could not walk. I could not take one pace out of the bed. And as I say, they thought I would die. But then the uh, body got behind me and prayers from everywhere. Rick Joyner came to the hospital to pray for me. David White came to pray for me. Thank you very much. Um, we had lots of people coming and supporting me. Bart Peacher came to the hospital for me. And I pray all around the world. And my wife was up all night praying for me. Thank you, Janet. So I had to get better, didn't I? And if I forgot to mention your name, do forgive me. It's been a, it was a little trying time. So I was in hospital for six weeks, 
and uh, with prayer everywhere. And then I came out of hospital after the six weeks with four bags in my abdomen, all round taking pus out of me. And it was a, it was a hard time. And the nurses, they had a meeting and they came back to me and they said that they, they thought the recovery uh, was miraculous. They said it would take seven days for every one day I was in hospital. And I was walking very, very quickly. The Lord was so good. They said I had to walk two minutes a day. And I was doing half an hour, 20 minutes straight away, almost. And uh, God was good to me and the Lord brought a lot of healing to me. But I felt a bit like Job, you know, all these things happening. And uh, I realized that Satan had been given permission to attack me, but not to kill me. And we know that God allows um, things to happen for a reason. And this is what we're going to look at today. We're looking at not, not just my... Th- problems, but we're going to look at the hidden wisdom, the calling of suffering, and why we suffer for the kingdom. So we're going to look at three people, Jesus, Paul, and Job. So first of all, with Jesus' suffering, we're going to start Isaiah 52 and 53. Behold my servant, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. His visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? 
For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many. Praise the Lord. So why did Jesus suffer? And why do we suffer? What are the legal reasons? So we're going to look at the hidden wisdom. For the wages of sin is death. But Jesus did not die, did not sin. So if he did not sin, it was illegal to kill him. So what does Father do? He raises him from the dead. Because an illegal event had happened. But you see, it's appointed for men to die once. And after this, the judgment. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he does done, whether good or bad. So what was Jesus' judgment? Because he had died. After being risen from the dead, he told his disciples what the judgment was. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And in the book of Revelations, it's, it's communicated another way. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. If Satan knew the consequences of the crucifixion he, he would not have done it he says we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known they would not have crucified 
the Lord of glory. So Jesus' soul was made an offering for sin. He was the Passover lamb. But there are many offerings. There are many, many sacrifices. Burnt offerings, sin offerings, drink offerings, heave offerings, wave offerings, tithes, first fruits. There's a lot. So we are called to be part of this. Mustn't think it a strange thing when things happen to us. We are being honored to be part of the sufferings. And Paul said to Timothy, I am being poured out as a drink offering. So Paul understood this. And then he said something that's not preached very often. He said, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ? We don't normally talk about it. But Paul knew that his sacrifice was part of that. And Paul doesn't just see himself as being offered. He calls us to offer ourselves. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And so we come to this whole area of sufferings and, and why do Christians die young when it's already been paid for? And this is what we're going to look at now. It's, um, this is in Revelation 6-9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. They cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a little white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until, now listen very, very carefully, both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. There is a number of souls that are going to die for Christ and the kingdom. You see, we are part of that. I mean, we look at the souls who died, who've been martyred. I mean, look at the apostles. All of them, apart from John, 
were killed, were martyred. We've got plenty of Christians around the world being martyred. It is for a purpose. It is for a purpose. So what is this purpose? We know when Jesus died that all power was given, all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. So why are we dying as well? God is going to use our suffering against Satan to, to prosecute him. Each and every illegal death and sickness will be prosecuted. And God is just waiting for the full number. So in legal terms, we're looking at a class action here. Everybody who's been, it's going to all be judged out once. And I think this is going to turn into the new thousand years when, when God decides to prosecute it. Jesus will reign on the earth. Another mention of this prosecution is in Revelation. And every time I used to read this, I used to think, I I didn't like reading it. Because it seemed a bit negative and unfair. And it says, you know, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Didn't like that bit. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then we we see here why. Verse 10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Every soul that Satan brought into captivity and put into hell, he's going to go into captivity because he did that. And those who kill with the sword, he's going to be killed with the sword. This is really just simply to create this prosecution. And this is where it says, he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So for thousands of years, this is being set up. People being martyred, people suffering, and it's all for a prosecution. Okay. That's why we have patience and faith. So we were simply allowed to be killed by Satan in order that Father can prosecute him. So vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So just like Jesus, we suffer persecutions and tribulations in order that God can legally repay with tribulation those who trouble us. And this tribulation is described as a calling So when Jesus was sacrificed, the apostles were sad, not realizing the great victory that was won. And it's the same for us. Their sadness was turned to joy 
and our suffering will be turned to joy. And we see with Paul his qualifications of suffering. You know, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys, often in perils, in waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Yeah, I think Paul suffered, didn't he? I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him, that's us, for everlasting life. So Paul calls us, he said, share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. So, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. It is a calling. If you're suffering at the moment, don't despise it. Don't be concerned that you've not been healed yet. It is a calling. And it's a calling so Satan can be prosecuted. Do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. We're joining with him. And you know, not everybody is healed. And that can be strange, you know. And often that reason might be that they have a calling. That they need to just offer that suffering up to the Lord. I remember looking at it in, in, in when Paul said to Timothy that he'd left Trophimus. He'd left in Miletus sick. I remember reading that thinking, What's the possible Paul leaving somebody sick somewhere? This is Paul. They, they took his handkerchiefs and touched people and they were healed. And his aprons. He raised a young man from the dead. Why is he leaving somebody sick still? You know, sometimes it might be a calling. In our weakness is his strength. So now we come to Job. Boy, Job went through it. Do you know I read that book a lot? I think I've probably read it 140 times, 150. I read it a lot because I see the wisdom that we can get from it. It seems so unfair on Job. You see, Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. 
Yet in one day, his life collapsed around him. He was rich, the greatest man in the East, but he lost it all. He lost thousands of sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys, and also a large amount of servants and his own children. Then he lost his health. In, in all of this, it was God speaking to Satan about Job. It all comes through God, the good and the bad. But Job did not curse God. But he did feel that God had taken away his justice. And of course, God's ways and God's wisdom is so much higher than ours. And in fact, God was setting Job up to give him a double blessing. You know, there's a relationship between sickness and sin. And Job's friends were convinced that he was sinning. But Job knew that wasn't the case, that he was righteous. So why was he suffering? Praise you, Lord. I mean, he went through the ringer. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Oh, that I might have my request. That God would grant me the thing that I have longed for. That it would please God to crush me. I would have been happy when I was in hospital being crushed. I was quite happy to go. In fact, a lot of my life has been under pressure. And I know when I was very young, about 25, I was feeling incredible pressure. And I said, Lord, why don't you take me home? And so God took me up in a vision into heaven. And he showed me rows and rows and rows in a cavern of graves as far as you can see. Imagine what it looks like in Normandy, all those crosses where the troops died in the Second World War. It was a bit like that, just seeing for miles all these graves. And the Lord said to me, uh, he said, Martin, do you know what these are? I said, no. <laughs> and he said to me, these are the graves of my martyrs that died before they fulfilled their calling. Would you like to come home now? And I thought about it at the time and I stayed for only one reason and that was for my wife, Janet. I didn't want her left on her own. You know, you would please, please God crush me. You know, I was talking to Rick about while I was going through in the hospital, and I said, Rick, you know, the 
The only thing I can, I can see in all of this is that I can understand um, part of the passion of Christ. Because I got to the point where I had no strength. In fact, I, it was the first time in my life that I got to the point where I said, Lord, I don't care about fulfilling my calling now. I'm quite happy to go home if you want me to. And you know, I think Chris Reed came to my home in, in Fort Mill and prayed for me. And, all, and Janet being up all night, there was, there was no way I could die. <laughs> but Job got really close to the Lord, you know, and he said, you know, even if he slays me, yet I will trust him. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now what happened to Job was only a few months long. You know, sometimes we can think it was years. And we know that from Job 29. It says, oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, looked over me. So it wasn't years. He was looking back months. But it was tremendously hard. So what else? So the end of the result for Job was that God gave him twice as much as before. And he had seven sons and three daughters. Now he then names the daughters. And normally in scripture we get the names of the men. The sons, not the daughters. So I was looking at this and I thought, that's, that's rather strange. I wonder why. And I love looking up all these names in, in the Greek and the Hebrew. I look up everybody's name. And all the place names, I look at those as well. So the first girl was called Jemima. Second girl was Cassia. And the third, Karen Hapuk. And so I thought, well, let's look and see what the meaning is. And I believe this meaning gives you a little formula how to get through times of suffering. So if you are suffering at the moment, I think this is the secret. Jemima means day by day. You take it one day at a time, get through the suffering, get to the next day. Just take it one day at a time. Because see us is a sweet-smelling spice. And for me, that means get into the presence of God. Get into his presence, smell his, that sweet spice. If you're struggling day by day, get into his presence. And the third, Karen Hapok, that's two words put together. Karen means it's, it's the, literally, it's the horns of a, of, of a, of a beast. Um, but it can also be translated as strength. And hapuk is, is, means antimony, so a, a black mineral. So I look at that and think strength comes out of darkness. Amen. I praise you, Jesus. 
So there we have the secret of how to get through these difficult times. Take it day by day. And every day get into the presence of God. And know why you're going through it. There is a very good reason. So what else should you do when you're suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Prayer. Is anybody among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. And when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by his stripes. You are healed. Do good. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit your souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange things happen to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Is anyone, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And one thing Paul said that I find very hard to understand this one. But it, you know, it's obviously true. He says, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. You know, joy is not connected to things going wrong in your life. When things go wrong, you can enter into that eternal joy. Just be faithful. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Good and faithful servant. And the last thing I think you should do is wait. I will wait till my change comes. It always comes. And Solomon, he, he said something, I love this verse. He said, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. Just wait it through. Because even though we walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, we, we get out the other end. Because he is with us. One other benefit we get from all of this is that when we suffer, it makes us more, to have more empathy for others. I know beforehand, you know, if somebody was suffering, I would pray for them. But I would pray for them, you know, you know they need prayer. Very logical. They need prayer, pray for them. But now... I can feel the pain. I can emphasize with the others who suffered. You know, and that's a gift I think God gives us when we suffer. And how does he put it? Um, 
Blessed be the God and Father who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So finally, in the world, you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise you, Jesus. Now, I'd just like to lead everybody in a prayer, if they want like to. So stand up if you'd like to pray this with me. I'll give you each little bit, and you can pray it and if, you, if you want to. Remember, you have to agree. So this is the, the hard bit, the first bit. Dear Lord, we repent of all moaning and lack of patience. Please forgive us. Give us endurance and help us to wait and be patient until our change comes. Lord, we commit our souls to you to do your good works. We rejoice exceedingly humbly accepting the sufferings you would like us to have for your kingdom. Dear Jesus, help us to be joyful in our sufferings. Help us to suffer well in a manner worthy of the king's household. Amen. Someone asked me uh, before the service, are you going to have a part two for what you shared last Sunday on the fellowship of his sufferings? Well, this was part two. And he didn't know it. He had no idea. But it just shows me this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. That's why we come here. We want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. When the Spirit is saying it to the church. This was part two. There will be a part three and a part four, Lord willing. This is amazing to me. How many of you were here last Sunday? Were you thinking the same thing I was thinking? Like, Lord, this is amazing. How do you do this? You must be the head of your church. You must be the one speaking. The Holy Spirit is really the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. Thank you so much for being obedient. Wow, what an incredible morning. I, hey, we want the full impact of this, guys. I'm Okay, I'm, I don't know if you realize this is such a holy moment. There's only a few times that I can remember in my life where someone spoke a part two 
that had no idea what the part one was. It just don't, it's rare, rare. Because most of us, you know, we, it's just a current word and whatever. Man, but this is the word of the Lord. So, Lord, we just pray, seal this in our hearts. Seal this, Lord. We want to be the people that, that uh, the prayer that Martin led us in. We say yes and amen, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you've called us, you've summoned us to this hour in history. And we thank you that you are speaking clearly, that we are hearing your voice and another voice we will not follow. And Lord, I just pray, just uh, let this word bear the ultimate maximum fruit that you've intended. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the thanksgiving. In Jesus' name.